100 years after some women won the vote, People's History Museum, the home of ideas worth fighting for, explores how far we have come in the fight for representation and how far we have to go. I'm Helen Anchebus and join me as episode by episode I look at some of the incredible objects and stories in Represent Voices 100 Years On. Deeds not words has become a phrase synonymous with the suffrage campaign. Emmeline Pankhurst, born here in Manchester, and the WSPU adopted this as their motto after they became tired of the lack of action from the constitutional law-abiding suffragists. The organisation soon became fearless and began, to main, and began to gain media attention for their acts of civil disobedience, from Sophia Dalip Singh refusing to pay her taxes to Mary Lee throwing a hatchet at Asquith, who was the Prime Minister. These acts demonstrated one thing, that the suffragettes would continue to break the law that didn't recognise them as proper citizens and create as much public disorder as possible until their right to vote was granted. Over the years, this hasn't stopped activists and campaigners have continued to defy the law in order to challenge it. Now, the section dedicated to if the law is wrong, break it and represent is relatively small compared to the other elements that we've seen so far, but the objects in it are no less powerful. In fact, one of the biggest objects on the wall here is the front cover of the Daily Sketch newspaper. Emmeline Pankhurst defies the law again. It's in April 1913. Now, Emmeline Pankhurst was a famous game player in the Cat and Mouse Act, which was introduced by Parliament to stop suffragettes becoming seriously ill and almost on death's door during their hunger strikes in prison. Now, why was it called the Cat and Mouse Act? Because when a suffragette would be arrested, she would go on hunger strike. When she became too weak, she would be released rather than force-fed. But when she recovered her health, she would be caught back and brought back into prison. So it was like a cat playing with a mouse. But Emmeline Pankers often learned how to escape being taken back into prison, most notably at this point by going to Paris and fleeing the country. What's interesting is the image on this newspaper. It's an image of Emmeline Pankhurst wearing the very famous prison arrow. Now, if you've seen the branding for Represent and when you walk around the exhibition, you'll see the prison arrow, which is pointing upwards, is repeated several times. In fact, it replaces the T in the word represent when you walk in. The reason we included with this was to pay homage to the people who have fought and have broken the law and who've worn this arrow on their prison garments through their actions and through their campaigns. And it wasn't just the suffragettes, it was conscientious objectors as well. On the image on front of the newspaper, Emmeline Pankhurst is wearing this prison arrow on her apron and she's standing knitting, looking very forlorn in a cell. This photograph is not Emmeline Pankhurst in prison. It's a photograph was actually taken at the 1909 women's exhibition that the suffragettes held to raise money for the campaign. And they mocked up a prison cell and had women from the campaign, from the organisation, dressing up in these prison outfits, Emmeline Pankhurst included. So it's not an actual representation of Emmeline in prison. Emmeline Pankhurst was arrested several times throughout the campaign for women's suffrage and she wasn't alone. Hundreds of women were and you can actually see the arrest roll of honour that's at the National Archives which names every single woman who was arrested. Sometimes the women would give false names so there are suffragettes who haven't been arrested who aren't on the roll of honour, probably under an alias. But the list is absolutely incredible when it shows you how many women were dedicated, so were so dedicated to this cause that they chose arrest and imprisonment rather than giving up their campaigns and their actions. 
And it wasn't just women such as Emmeline Pankhurst, the high-profile celebrity suffragettes. Many working-class women were arrested during this time as well, and arguably they had much more to sacrifice. Suffrage campaigners such as Hannah Mitchell, Anna Robinson and Selena Martin didn't have the luxury of having help at home to look after and care for their families. In fact, when Anna Robinson, who was a suffragette campaigner here in Manchester, was arrested in London and was sent to Holloway Prison, she writes home to her husband checking that he's alright, that he's able to feed the family, that he's able to make dinners. Many of the suffragettes supported each other during this time would often take meals round to the houses of those suffragettes who were imprisoned. One of the more colourful women who was imprisoned during this time was Charlotte Marsh. Now Charlotte Marsh was the first suffragette to be force-fed in prison. She was arrested in 1909 and was imprisoned at the same time as Selina Martin, a working-class suffragette, at Winston Green Prison in Birmingham. Selina Martin was working class. She was born in Cumbria and raised in Lancaster. Selina was first arrested and sent to Holloway in 1908 before being sentenced again in 1909, first being sent to Birmingham with Charlotte Marsh and then to Liverpool in 1909. Now, just to give you an idea of what Selina was arrested for, she threw an empty bottle of ginger beer through the open window of the Prime Minister's car. Nothing smashed, nothing was broken. It just landed on the seat next to him. And for that, she was imprisoned for three months. At the end of last year, Selena's grandson very kindly loaned us her collection of letters and amazingly her hunger strike medal to go on display and represent and it's here in the case in front of me. We are so used to hearing the arrest stories of these celebrity women such as the Pankhursts, Sophia Deleep Singh and Emily Wilding Davison that the untold story of a working class woman's experience is so rare and provides such a fascinating insight into how these women were treated. Selena, for instance, described herself after she came out of prison as so thin she could hang clothes off parts of her own body. Now, in the case is a variation of photographs, letters and her medals. Now, I'll talk about her medal first. The Hunger Strike Medal was designed by Sylvia Pankhurst, as many of the suffragette memorabilia was. And it's the famous purple, white and green. Now, this medal in particular has two metal bars going across it and they represent how many times Selena went on hunger strike in prison. The tiny circular medal at the bottom is engraved with her name and the date and the beautiful box that it's presented in, which has survived so pristinely, again has her name embossed in it. It's fantastic to see that she cherished this and it was kept in such good condition over the past 100 years. The photo next to the medal shows a portrait of Selena actually wearing her medal and next to her hunger strike medal is the Holloway brooch. Again designed by Sylvia Pankhurst, it was given to anybody who was arrested and put inside Holloway jail and it again bears that prison arrow. The prison arrow actually represents the property of the government and you can see the irony of these women who were fighting so hard against a government that refused them one of their most basic rights. The fact that suddenly, in prison, they became their property. In a way, they reclaim this symbol, putting it on their medals, on their arrest certificates, and really demonstrating that they're still defying a government, a government that does not in any way own them. The letter next to it is actually from Selena's father. Selena's father grew increasingly concerned about the welfare of his daughter in prison. 
It's really interesting that both Selena's parents really supported her militant actions and her mother even states in one letter that she wishes she could have been imprisoned instead of her. When Selena's father writes the jailer of Liverpool prison, which is where she's incarcerated just a month after being released from Birmingham, the governor writes back to her father and informs him that despite the silly actions of the militant suffragettes, everything carried out in the prison, contrary to what is said in the newspapers, is being done as kindly and humanely as possible. On display next to this letter are pages from Selena's account of her time in jail in Liverpool. She talks about being beaten by the warders, being thrown in an ice-cold cell. She was arrested just over Christmas time, so you can imagine how freezing she must have been and how her handcuffs were tied so tightly they left grooves in her arms. I don't know about you, but this does not sound kind or humane to me. But the letter from Constance Lytton, which is on display below this, is one of my favourites and it's so insightful. Constance Lytton was a very aristocratic woman who was dedicated to the suffrage movement. When she hears about the treatment of women such as Selena Martin in prison, she decides to do an expose. For when she herself was arrested, she was given a very, very comfortable bed in a hospital ward and she was granted her own food. In fact, she had quite a luxurious stay. So she decides to go undercover. Horrified at the treatment of working class women in prison, she gets herself arrested while posing as a working class woman and she perfected her disguise here in Manchester, as she writes in her account. I accomplished my disguise in Manchester, going to a different shop for every part of it, for safety's sake. I had noticed several times while I was in prison that the prisoners of unprepossessing appearance obtained least favour, so I was determined to put ugliness to the test. A tweed hat, a long green cloth coat, which I purchased alongside a woolen scarf and woolen gloves, a white silk neckerchief and a pair of pince-nez spectacles, a purse, a net bag to contain some of my papers and my costume was complete. I had to remove my own initials from my underclothing and bought the ready-made initials JW to sew on in their stead. So Constance takes on the alias Jane Wharton. The reason she uses Jane is it's a play on Joan of Arc, who was adopted as the patron saint of the suffrage movement. And she publishes her findings on how she is treated in prison, and they become a national sensation. Now in the letter she writes to Selena Martin, she talks how Selena Martin must rest, and she even pays Selena's doctor's bills after she's so ill when she's released. She signs her letter, yours militantly. She signs her letter from your fellow jailbird and signs it Jane Morton. She also says in the letter that Jane Morton was arrested most especially because of you. And this really demonstrates not only a willingness from all women to break the law for what they believed in, but also how quite often the suffrage movement transcends class. The daughter of a bookseller from Cumbria and a countess from London can become lifelong friends. In the middle of the exhibition, next to the WSPU banner, stands a suffragist costume based on what Emmeline Pankhurst and other Edwardian women at the time would have worn. On the other side is a black jumpsuit and it's embroidered with the words Time's Up Teresa in green and purple. This jumpsuit was worn by Sisters Uncut in January 2018, protesting a new domestic violence bill. Sisters Uncut are a national organisation and they're campaigning for better rights for domestic violence survivors. And they said of their protest, Sisters Uncut say, 
that these measures skirt the government's responsibility to support all survivors of domestic violence, leaving them locked up in prison, locked out of refuges and locked in violent relationships. Now, this protest happened on the red carpet of the BAFTA Awards, and there are videos of their removal from the red carpet, which are quite difficult to watch. In a protest ironically defending the rights of women and non-binary people, the brutal and unnecessarily forced used to remove them is quite harrowing. It's really important to include this jumpsuit, and we chose specifically to display it next to the suffragist costume on purpose. Because what breaking the law shows and what it challenges us is to look at how far we have really come. That these costumes side by side, which would have been worn by women protesting for almost the same thing a hundred years apart, and using quite similar tactics to do so. Now, Sisters Uncut are made up of quite young women, but breaking the law in protest isn't something that sits with young people in general. Protest and breaking the law just takes courage and many people who come and visit represent today comment on how they would be too afraid to be arrested like the suffragettes. If you believe in a cause strongly enough, it will often give you the strength to follow through with your actions. And much can be said about a photograph on display near Selena Martin's material of Betty Tebbs, who in 2017 travelled to Faslane with the campaign for nuclear disarmament. Now Faslane is the nuclear military base in Scotland and many people campaigning against nuclear arms and if for nuclear disarmament, go and campaign there. Just to tell you a little bit more about Betty Tebbs, Betty was born in 1918, in the year that some women were first granted the vote. She started work at a Lancashire paper mill when she was 14, and she was horrified to see, on opening her pay packet, that she was paid two shillings less than the boy sat next to her, just because she was a girl. She was one of the first people to achieve equal pay for women in the paper mills across Lancashire and she became the mother of the chapel, a trade union leader and organised strikes across the North West campaigning for equal pay. After losing her first husband in World War II, she dedicated her entire life to fighting not only for women's rights but also for world peace as well, particularly against nuclear disarmament and she travelled all over the world fighting for this. She was even part of peace summits during the Cold War. Now in 2007, when she went on this campaign, she was detained after staging a protest, much similar to Sisters Uncut, by lying outside of the military base chained to five other people. Now they were chained from ankle to wrist, and to get to the protest itself was very difficult in this position, but Betty persevered and did it. And when the police came to move her, she said to the young officer, does your mother know what you do? The photograph in the exhibition captures that exact moment when Betty challenged the police officer. Now, she wasn't arrested this time. She was just let off with the caution. Over her incredibly powerful and inspiring life, Betty broke the law several times for what she believed in. At the time of this protest, she was 89 years old. Would you break the law if you believed it was wrong? Would you risk being imprisoned, force-fed, beaten, the suffragettes did, and many other campaigners have continued to do so. Only recently, in 2018, women at the Yarlswood Immigration Detention Centre went on a hunger strike to protest the conditions they were being made to live in. And you can see one of the armbands in the case next to Selena, Selena's own material. Sitting next to that armband is the tie of conscientious objector Duncan Whiteman, who, during World War I, refused to fight on moral grounds. 
These men were arrested and were actually disenfranchised when the Representation of the People Act was passed in 1918. And you can see from the same prison arrows that are on this piece of clothing that they were regarded in the same way as the suffrage campaigners and that their voice nor their vote were listened to by the government. There are four ballot boxes in this exhibition where visitors are able to vote yes or no to the questions we put to them, some of which have been asked for over a century. These included, should you have the vote at 16? Do you feel represented in Parliament? And more importantly for this episode, if the law is wrong, should you break it? At the time of recording this podcast, can you guess what most people answered to if the law is wrong, should you break it? A resounding yes. The suffragettes knew that these militant, law-breaking actions would not only grasp the attention of the government, but also get media attention as well. Their new challenge, very quickly, became to tackle how they were subsequently represented in the media. Join me next episode when I'll be looking at how the suffragettes, and how even today, representation in the media remains all important.